Welcome to the Lift Church podcast. We pray that this message encourages you and inspires you to live up to your God-given potential. If you've got a Bible, turn with me to Habakkuk 2 verse 2. Just a little while ago, a um, young person who's been part of our um, life and ministry for a while was like, is that even really in the Bible? And I have no idea how to say his actual name. It's like Habakkuk. Habakkuk. Any other ways of saying it? Habakkuk. Habakkuk. <laughs> I've got no idea. Let's just call it Habby. So Habby 2 verse 2. And it says this, write down the revelation and make it plain on tablets so that a herald may run with it. Write down the revelation, or some translation says, write down the vision and make it plain on tablets so that a herald may run with it. And Habakkuk, Habi, uh, he was one of what uh, theologians call a minor prophet because his uh, book in the Bible was actually only three chapters long, as opposed to a major prophet like Isaiah who had something like 66 or 67 chapters uh, of revelation and visions that God had given to him. So Habakkuk only had three chapters, but part of that is that he felt, God put on his heart to write down that vision that God had given to him to make it plain so that the herald, a messenger, would be able to run with it. And I believe that there's truth for us, even though uh, we, we were not necessarily prophets uh, like Habakkuk, but we also have this, I think there's a principle that God has put into our lives, that when we actually receive a vision from God, a vision that is inspired by God, we need to actually make it plain so that we can run with it. How many of you have got a vision statement for your life? How many of you have actually got a sense, a plain worded sentence that you can go back to and go, that is what I am living for? In other words, do you have a why for your life? Do you have a why that helps you to run the course of your life? Or are you just kind of living by default? You know, when I ask people this question, it freaks people out. It generally, uh, the person goes, yeah, I, I know what I'm meant to be doing, but I've not written it down. I've got this sense. It's probably called hunger. <laughs> I've got this something inside of me. And, and the, the problem with not writing it down is that I see such people and what happens is that one moment they're feeling like they can do that and they go for it. But then the next moment they're not feeling it anymore and suddenly it's like, no, 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 I'm not called to that. That's not really my why. We need to be a people that writes down our why Make it plain, one sentence long, so that we can run with it. See, Jesus gives us this amazing example of writing down, of making plain a why for your life. Uh, I, I'm, we're going to look into Mark chapter 1 this morning. And the book of Mark is actually um, Peter's uh, eyewitness account of Jesus' life. Peter was one of the 12 disciples, and uh, why he's called Mark is because he had this scribe who would write down his sermons and put it together, and he got his name on the book. So Mark's pretty happy about that, and, and, and so we have this book, but the beauty of Mark is that it is probably one of the uh, uh, quickest gospels. It's the shortest gospel for one, but one of the things that you read about in Mark lots is that it says immediately they went this place, immediately they went there, immediately there's this 
sense of urgency about Mark. There's this sense that Peter has actually boiled down a lot of what Jesus said and did into very core material, uh, the, the, the very essence of who Jesus was and what he said. So when we read Mark, we actually get uh, uh, the, the plainest version of Jesus. Not in a sense that he was boring, because Jesus is never boring, but we get a, a sense of, wow, okay, that's what it's all about. And so when we read Mark, we get this sense of what Jesus' why is. And in chapter 1, we already see so much happening. We're not going to read all of it because there's going to be too much. But right at the start, we see John the Baptist. John the Baptist is Jesus' cousin. We don't even go, get to see Mary and Joseph. Unfortunately, they didn't make Peter's account. Maybe Peter didn't know them back then. I don't know. But he was like, you know what? I'm going to start with John. John was saying, I'm preparing the way for Jesus. Uh, I'm baptizing you in water. But he's going to come and he's going to baptize you the Holy Spirit. Something far greater. Already we see at the start that there was this anticipation that Jesus was coming. And Jesus was going to be doing something flipping amazing. right? And then the next moment we get into the baptism and testing of Jesus. Jesus is baptized by John the Baptist, and it says this in, in, in verse uh, 11, a voice came from heaven saying, you are my son whom I love with you. I'm well pleased. This is before Jesus started his public ministry. And let me just give you a little bit of a hint as to how you craft your why. You need to know who you're working for. You need to know who you belong to. That is so important. When we forget this sense of God's love for our lives, oh, why? It just doesn't cut it. We end up trying to pursue things to find value and worth in the things that we do rather than to act out of the value and worth that we have already received. I am one of those people that was trying so hard to get people to notice me and to see value in me and I was working out of that why and let me tell you working out of that why is extremely tiring it's going to lead you to a place where you're just like why am I not there yet or maybe you will actually get all that you want but then it's suddenly that sense of like wow that's it you know, so many billionaires, they, they set out to make their money. They made their money. They make their big uh, company and, and, and had that fame and their fortune. And they go, well, is that it? Is that it? You've got people like Bill Gates that when I've made billions of dollars, I'm one of the richest men in the whole world. And I've not got what I think fulfills me. I've not actually achieved my wine. That's why he started to give away all of his money, <laughs> which is he's still doing to this day. But when you start with that place of knowing God saying to you, you are my child whom I love and I am well pleased with, suddenly your why is coming from a place of security and a place of confidence. And we can see that the next moment Jesus starts his public ministry, as we call it, and he says this in verse 15, Mark 1:15. The time has come, the kingdom of God has come near, repent and believe the good news. That's all he said. Literally, it says Jesus went and he started to proclaim the good news, and the good news in the book of Mark, was boiled down to one sentence. The time has come, the kingdom is near, repent and believe the good news. And I just want to unpack this for a moment. 
Because I think it's very important for us as Christians. Jesus did not say, repent or go to hell. Jesus didn't say, turn or burn. Jesus didn't say, you are heading in the wrong direction and, and you are going to suffer the consequences. He actually says, repent and believe the good news. Yeah, you guys are still awake. You're not frozen yet. He says, repent and believe the good news. And I think it is important for us to, to get a sense of Jesus's mission. Because I think that Jesus is a great uh, model for our lives. And he says, the time has come, the kingdom of God has come near. What does he mean by that? Do he mean that there was a castle coming down from the clouds? You might think it's crazy, but when I was young, I thought that that's kind of the image that people would get. The kingdom is coming, and you see this... I have a castle in the clouds. No one thinks like that? Just me? Okay, just me. That's fine. But I used to think, why did Jesus say the kingdom of God has come near? I was thinking about it, and then I realized that what Jesus was saying is that I have come near. Jesus himself has come. The time has come. Why? Because Jesus was starting his ministry and the kingdom of heaven is near because he brought in the kingdom of heaven and then what he says next is to repent and the word for repent in greek is metanoia and metanoia just simply means the easiest way to understand that word is that you change your mind so we have this sense of the kingdom of heaven is near so repent and receive the good news the imagery is that Jesus is here, but we're facing this way. He's bringing the kingdom of heaven with all of his goodness, with all of his grace, with all of his peace, all of his joy, all of that amazing things. And for us to be able to walk into that, we need to repent and believe. And you can see that in these three lines on the screen, Jesus boiled down a heck of a lot into that and there's something about our why that we are trying to live out that we need to understand that making it plain is super difficult some of you have dreams in your heart and you can describe it like it's a movie scene but if i ask you to make me to, to tell it to me in one sentence you'll be like oh this is too hard well jesus could do it and he brought the greatest mission saving the whole of mankind and this is what he said the time has come the kingdom of heaven is near repent and receive the good news how amazing and then jesus did something after that he went and he called his disciples he goes to the sea of galilee and he saw a uh, simon andrew and and other um and a little bit later he sees james and john as well and again we see one sentence Come, follow me, and I will send you out to fish for people. I like another translation that says, Come, follow me, and I'll make you fishers of men. See, why I think that that's really interesting is because when you have a vision that requires other people to follow, you need to put it into a language that they can understand. You know, sometimes us as Christians, the problem that we have is that we have the most amazing thing going for us. We have a God who saved us and given us eternal life. In my opinion, everyone should want that. But the problem is that sometimes when we talk to people about it, they're not interested because they don't get it. And so Jesus, when he calls his disciples, these guys were already making a living. They were living their lives and they were willing to let go of all of that because of this one line. 
It shocks me, but Jesus puts it in words that grip their hearts. He said, come follow me and I will make you fishers of men. They were already fishermen. And he was saying, no, 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 that's temporary. I'm going to give you a new calling to become fishers of men. He boiled down a mission that they could catch again in one sentence. It's pretty cool, isn't it? I love that Jesus could bring all of this down into plain, simple concepts, but at the same time, there was a depth to them that could capture people. Have you got a why that captures yourself? And have you got a why that captures people around you? Are you able to mobilize people uh, towards something of meaning and purpose? Or are you just simply going like, oh, there's so much going on in me and I, I can't be bothered putting it down on paper? What is going on with your why? What is your why? See, what happens when you have a clear why is that you start to gain momentum. We read on and, and Jesus, he's called his disciples, they were following him and he starts to teach and he starts to do crazy things. He starts to drive out evil spirits and, and, and he starts to heal many people. Uh, and in Mark 1 verse 33, it says this, still chapter 1, by the way, but it says the whole town gathered at the door. The whole town gathered at the door. See, the truth is I believe that each and every single one of us has a life of significance to live. Each and every single one of us has been called by God to live a life that, that impacts people. That's what the gospel allows us to live out. And I think the truth is that many of us are meant to have crowds of people wanting to know what is it that we have. But when we don't have a why, I don't know if that's the kind of life that we are able to live. When Jesus crafted his why, he called his disciples of a clear mission and a purpose. We are going to be saving people. And he then goes on and lives that out. It, it, there was an immediate momentum that came into that place. And it says the whole town gathered at the door. When you take the time to craft your why, when you take the time to make it plain, write it down on a piece of paper so that you can look at it, I believe that there is a momentum that you can have in your everyday. But there's something else about a why that I think is so important because of what happens next. Jesus was ministering and ministering and ministering and probably went into quite late at night and he probably sends them home. And in verse 35, we, we read very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went to a solitary place where he prayed. And I think, let's not go there yet. We'll come to that in a moment. And it says, Simon and his companions, Simon was Simon Peter before his name became Peter. Uh, Simon and his companions, the other disciples, went to look for him. And when they found him, they exclaimed, everyone is looking for you. I just want to pause for a moment and get you to think about what it was like for Simon. Simon just left his career. Simon left what was known to him. Simon left whatever it was that he was used to doing. He was comfortable. He was making a, a way of life for him and his family. He left that because he heard a compelling why. And then he sees this explosion of success. The whole town gathered at the door. And then the next moment, Jesus, without telling them what he's going to do, he disappears. 
Can you imagine the freaking out? That I left my freaking job for this, and you go and disappear? Wow, there's a real echo here. It shocked me. And he, and, and he comes to Jesus, and he says, Where? Why are you here? Everyone is looking for you. Peter had tasted success, and he wanted more of it. Yeah? Peter's seen the crowds, and he's like, that is good. I want more of that. But I want you to look into Jesus' response. It says this, Jesus, oh gosh, verse 38, let us go somewhere else. Peter, everyone is looking for you. Let's go somewhere else. And then he drives it home to the nearby villages. He wasn't even saying, I'm going to the other side of the world because they might not have heard about me yet. He said, let's go two Ks down the road. You said everyone, I say two Ks down the road. So I can preach there also. That is why I have come. See, without a clear why, you're going to get caught up in the crowds. You might have success but your success is going to be limited to a town. See, for Peter, the town that Jesus was ministering at was probably his hometown. We know that because Jesus healed his mother-in-law just a few verses ago. I didn't read it, but it's there in Mark chapter 1. He heals uh, Peter's mother-in-law, and that was Peter's town. Peter's whole concept of God's calling on his life was restricted to his town. He was happy in that small space. And so when his whole town wanted to hear more about Jesus, he was like, this is it. This is all that there is going to be. Everyone is looking for you. And that's why I think Jesus took time to go pray in the solitary places. This was the first account in Mark's, chapter, in Mark's gospel of Jesus' success in a location. But he did not allow the success to go to his head. Instead, he went back to uh, the, the, the person who sent him, God, and he said, God, what am I supposed to be doing next? Is this really my why? Am I tracking along correctly? Can you imagine if Jesus didn't think to, to, to evaluate his why? If he didn't pray, what would have happened? He's like, oh, yeah. This is as good as it gets. We wouldn't have savior of the world. We'll have savior of the town. We would not have a savior. We would have a celebrity. And so many of us are meant to be living lives that are larger, that are more significant and of greater influence, but we are happy with a celebrity status rather than the call of God on our lives. And that is why we need to have a why. Because we will be following crowds instead of our calling. We will be seeing everyone when 2K is down the road, someone else needs you to be doing something in order to bring good news of great joy into their lives. There is still more people that need to be reached. There are still more people that need what you have received already. That is how the kingdom works. The fact that you're still here means that God is requiring something of you, but not just requiring in an obligation sense, but in a sense of like, hey, your life means something. You are meant to be living for something far bigger than this. So have you got a why? Have you got a why that is plain, that allows you to run, that allows you to capture momentum, but also allows you to protect from things that are going to distract. One of the greatest killers of churches is complacency. 
One of the greatest killers of churches is that it's like everyone's here. I love one of the, I think it is the biggest churches in, in, in America. It's called Life Church. One of their statements is, we are not big enough as long as there's still people that need to be reached. When you see, when, he, when that pastor, Pastor Craig Rochelle, looked at the size of his church, he was like, wow, this is great. But then he looked at the city that they were in and he was like, it's not big enough. There's something about a clear why that takes you to the heart of the message, that cuts away all the things that lets you think that you are doing okay. All those measures are, are, are pointless when you actually have a why that makes sense for you. That why will only come from God. That why will take time for you to craft. And it's something that I want to just leave with you, thinking about what is your why. But I want to switch gears a little bit this morning because I want to tell you Liv's why. We are nearly three years old. We are about to start going to preschool as a church. And um, honestly, Beck and I would have loved to be able to share a clearer why than we have so far early on in our journey. And I think it's required me to grow a lot. It's required me to expand and to, to stop getting caught up in certain things before I could get caught up in what God was calling us to. And, and over the last couple of weeks, God has just confirmed it and, and, and placed it at the, uh, in a place in our heart that we're like, yes, this is it. We started sharing with some of our team, and the team's like, yes, this is it. I really like Josh's uh, uh, response to it because Josh is a details guy, and he, he thinks through it, and, and I shared it with him, and he was like, well, maybe. No, it's perfect. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, score! <laughs> so, um, so you guys ready to hear the why of Lyft? Truth is, you've already seen it this morning on these little stickers that we've given out to you. Everyone should get at least two. We've still got plenty more if you want to have more. But our why as Live Church is that we want to inspire people to live. Inspiring people to live. That is our why. And for the next 10 minutes, I want to explain to you uh, and unpack with you this little statement. Remember, we were trying to make it plain so that you can run with it. But maybe there's a certain sense if you don't capture the heart behind it, it's a little bit too plain. And so I want to unpack it with you. The, the truth is um, that, that we have got something really special as Christians. In John 10 verse 10, Jesus says this, The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come. Jesus has come that they may have life and have it to the full. I love the message version of this second half. It says, I came so that they can have real and eternal life, more and better life. And so in this verse, there are two things that we need to note. There is bad news. The bad news is that you've got a big bad wolf that is trying to steal, kill, and destroy your life. There's, there's no hiding that fact that we have an enemy that is out to steal from you, that is out to take away from you, that is out to make your life smaller than it's meant to be. He steals and he kills and destroys. But then what Jesus says, the good news is that he has come and that there is more 
and better life. There's real and eternal life. And this, I believe, captures, again, uh, the sense of what Jesus was saying in Mark chapter 1. He said, repent and believe the good news. Why? Because when we don't repent, we are naturally seeking after what the enemy is wanting from us. And we're giving in to that lifestyle. He's really good at hiding it. The, the Bible calls him the, the, the master of lies. He lies through his teeth and we listen to him and we give him the life that we are meant to have. And what we need to learn is to turn around and to say, I want real and eternal life. I want more and better life. And what we need to understand is that there are people in our lives that need to hear this message. That they are seeking out a life that is of destruction and of death when God has got life and life to the full. And they still need to have a moment where they repent. When I'm facing this way, it's really hard for me to know what's going on there. It doesn't mean that God isn't bringing it. It just means that I'm unaware of it. And so as a mission for a church, for our church, we want to inspire people to that life. And know that the word that we use is inspire, not manipulate, not guilt, not shame, not coerce, not force. We're not forcing people to live. We are inspiring them to live. We're inspiring them through our example, through the words that we say, through the things that we do. My hope is that we are able to demonstrate life so well that people go, I want what you have. I want what you have. There's three things that we as a church are inspired by. These three things are really important because if we know what we are inspired by, we are also going to be inspiring people with these things. And there's three statements that I think that we should get pretty familiar with. We're probably going to be talking about them a lot over the course of our life. Why? Because they are making things plain so that we can run with it. The first statement is this. We are inspired by God's passionate pursuit of our souls. You know, I was born in a Christian family. I've known God all of my life. But I followed Him out of obligation I followed him out of a sense of if I don't follow God, maybe he won't give me what I want. Maybe he won't care for me as much as I want him to. And I was living that way for ages. God was just this, I knew he existed. And to some extent, I knew that he was personal, but I never understood how he loved me. And it took me until this point where I was actually questioning whether God truly loved me or not, and whether he really cared for me. I was willing to walk away from this faith that I have today. I was willing to walk away from it because I was examining it and I was thinking about it. And can I just say something? If you're in a place where you're thinking about whether God really cares for you or whether God really loves you, go down that bunny trail. See where it leads. It's okay to ask questions. I was asking questions. I was on the cusp of leaving my faith. And that was the moment where God showed me in terms that I couldn't um, ignore anymore. His love wasn't just a love, but it was a, it was a pursuing, passionate love. 
I was inspired in that moment after doing my research, after doing my work. I, I, I was inspired by the fact that God already had a plan and purpose for me. That even before I was born, He already had put things in place so that I would know that there is this greater life. I used to joke because I'm a really stubborn fella that if I didn't get born into a Christian home, I would never become a Christian. I think God put me into a believing home because he knew that I would be stubborn in my faith. Now, I nearly lost it, but it was in nearly losing it that God could undo some of the weird Christianese thinking that I had, and he showed me what he was really like. And he showed me that he is not a passively loving God. He's a passionately pursuing God. He's a God that knows where you're at. He knows everything that you've done. He knows that you are broken. He knows that you will never be perfect in the sense that you will never get it right all the time. And yet he says, you, I love. In fact, 2 Corinthians 5 verse 21 says this, God made him, Jesus, who had no sin, to be sin for us. God became sin for me so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. Why is righteousness so important? Righteousness is simply right standing. It means that we are in relationship once again with God. God so wanted you to be in relationship with Him that He took on your sin. He took on your sin. Sin, I learned this a little while ago, in the, one of the easiest, best translations, literally means a fatal flaw. God took on your fatal flaw so that you can have righteousness, so that you can access the throne of grace with full confidence. That's what the Bible teaches me. When I saw that God wasn't withholding grace, but he was always saying, come on in, come on in. It's like the person that is facing this way and God is not saying, you do not deserve any of my grace. And he, no, 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 God is saying, turn around, it's right there for you. And in fact, I'm gonna do so many things to be able to come into your frame of mind and your frame of vision so that you will turn around. Maybe you're here this morning and you have no idea why you're here. You just thought it would be a good idea. It wasn't a good idea. It was God's design to influence and to get into your frame of mind to say, my grace is sufficient for you and my power is made perfect in your weakness. That is the pursuing passionate love of God. And this morning, before we go any further, I want to give you an opportunity to meet with this God, to, to accept this grace, to say, I want real and eternal life. I want more and better life. That is what God has for me, and that is what I want. God is pursuing you. I could speak for five hours about that straight. I would lose my voice. You probably won't understand me, but there's so much to talk about this. But maybe you need to go on a discovery that God is pursuing you. You become complacent in your Christianity because you think that God's as passive as you are. God isn't passive. He's passionate. He's pursuing you. Saying, I know you and I love you. If you want to accept Jesus into your life to receive the grace and the life that he has purchased, literally redeemed on your behalf, he became sin so that you would have righteousness. If you want to do that, that's what this verse is. Believe in your heart, confess your lips that Jesus is Lord, and that day salvation is yours. Can we all just take this moment right here, right now?
And let's say this prayer together. Dear God, I know that you passionately love me, that you pursue me, and I want to let you in. Be my Lord and my Savior. Amen. If you said that prayer for the first time, we have got these um, Bibles at the back of the auditorium, and that's available for you. Um, just pick one up, and in there, there's a couple of books that describes the life that we have in God, and that's also our gift to you, because this is the most amazing thing you could ever receive, the life of God. So the first thing that we need to know is that we are inspired by God's passionate pursuit of our souls. Everything else about our Christian walk comes back to this. If you don't know that God's love for you is passionate, that is directed, that is deliberate, that is planned, that is designed, everything else becomes obligation. Everything else falls apart. But when we know that we do this because God loves me, and God loves me in this crazy love, everything comes into alignment. So the second thing that we're inspired by is that we are inspired by the kingdom's life-giving and disruptive culture. We are inspired by the kingdom's life-giving and disruptive culture. Jesus called us to repent. Why? Because we were looking in this direction. We were allowing things to steal, kill, and destroy the life that he has given to us. In simple terms, the Bible calls it the world's, the world's thinking, the world's culture, the world's expression of life. And what we need to understand is that God isn't saying, stop doing that, as much as he's saying, start doing this. It's disruptive to our thinking. It is uncomfortable to our way of seeing life. Why? Because we are comfortable going in this direction. Why do you think Jesus says, repent? Because you need to change. And there are things that you have been doing that isn't good for you, that is actually going to steal from you. But what we need to learn as a church is that we need to stop telling people off for going down that route. And we need to start inspiring people about the route that God has chosen. And Beck and I were talking about this a couple of days ago. And, 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 and I, I really struggle with some aspects of inspiring people to kingdom culture because sometimes we haven't really found the words or the expression for that. And you know, one of the areas in that is, is in terms of relationships. Because uh, 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 when, when I grew up, I grew up in a traditional church and he was saying, don't do this, don't do that, no sex before marriage, don't, 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 don't date a non-Christian. In fact, my church in Singapore, they, 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 they full on like excommunicated a person for dating a, a non-Christian. Crazy. Full on just chased them out of church. It was that kind of religiosity and it was saying that this is wrong, this is wrong, this is wrong. Let me tell you, it is wrong. But what's the point of talking about that? When we actually should be talking about this, the more and better life. And so Beck and I were starting to talk about is that we want to start to think about how we talk about things. Instead of telling people, don't date a non-Christian, why not talk about how great it is to be with a Christian? Mind-blowing. Why? Because it's freaking hard to put into language things that, I don't know, but I had to slow down and to make it plain. And I started thinking about this. And, you know, uh, one example, instead of talking about how wrong it is and talking about how amazing this is, one of the things, uh, a couple of weeks ago, uh, we, we went to Hillsong Conference, and on the last day, the last night session, God was really messing me up. 
he was starting to talk about things and wounds that I hadn't let go of. And, and, and man, it was, it was weird. I don't like crying, but God makes me cry sometimes. And, and he was doing stuff in my heart, and, and he was working through stuff. And then he started to put a picture of something that I should do. And I was a little bit uncomfortable with it. I didn't really know whether, to, whether that was me, whether that was God, whether it was right, whether it was um, good. And good thing I've got a wife who is more holy than I am. I said to her, Beck, this is what God's put on my heart. And this is what she said. You know what? Holy Spirit spoke to me about this yesterday. <laughs> it's my life. <laughs> but you know what? It gave me such a confidence to step into what God has called me to do. Why? Because my wife was praying for me. My wife believed sometimes more than I do what God has called me to do. And she's able to help me with that. That's the kind of life that we get to do when we do it according to kingdom culture. That there's more and better life. And because it's more and better life than we could ever dream of, sometimes we don't know it. But when we get together with someone else in our lifelong journey of marriage, which is pretty huge, we get to explore this together. And we get to go, come on, there's even more. And sometimes it sounds like it's a challenge to our old ways of living. Yes, it is. But more than the challenge of saying no to that is saying yes to this. And that's the kind of thing that we need to talk about. When we talk about needing to attend church, it's, it's not like when you don't attend church, you get broken and you get lame and you get sad. And no more sin. Uh, sorry, more sin on you. No more peace. No more. Why not we say when we gather together, there is joy. There is support. There is encouragement. There is life. We need to gather because I know that I'm broken sometimes, most of the time, and I need someone to be there to pray with me, to praise with me, and to lift me up. I want to be inspired to that life rather than be told, have you ever told a kid, don't do something? What do they do? They do it. We don't grow out of that. Adults, you are the worst. I've been pastoring for 10 years, and I was as bad as kids. You just hide it better. You just nod your head when pastor says, don't do something, and then you do it. Why not stop telling people what not to do and start to tell people where life is? Why not start to model it? Oh, my gosh. When you're at church, if you want people to love church, why don't you love church? Why don't you pick up your, your, your sleepy body off the ground? And show that this is where life is. And I, let's, let's learn how to live with a little bit of inspiration in our step. Anyway, step three. Final thing is we are inspired by God's radical and surprising plan to include us in carrying freedom to the world. This messes me up. Why? Because I know how I've not got it all together. But God still chooses me to bring freedom to the world. Absolutely ridiculous. Matthew 28, 18 to 20, this was before Jesus went back to heaven and he said this. Then Jesus came to his disciples and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. So I'm going to turn everyone around. They're all going to repent and we're going to live in utopia together. That's not what Jesus said. That's what Nate said. He did say, 
All authority has been given to me, so you go. So you go and spread the gospel. So you go and make disciples. There's this sense that God has authority, but he delegates that authority. And who does he delegate that authority to? Me. You. Each and every single one of us. With your hang-ups and your brokenness, did you know that you are the best way that God can show his love? You're the best example, the most inspiring example of you don't have to get it right to be right with God. You just have to accept the gift of grace that God has given to us. I'm inspired by that, and I hope that we are inspired by this. We're not going to be an insular church that thinks that this is all that there is. There are still people that are living in darkness, that are living in, 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 in a place where, where things are being stolen and, and destroyed from their lives, and they need to see life. How is that going to happen? Through you and through me. So the three things that we are inspired by as a church is that we are inspired by God's passionate pursuit of our souls. We are inspired by God's, sorry, we are inspired by the kingdom's life-giving and disruptive culture. And we are inspired by God's radical and surprising plan to include us in carrying freedom to the world. These three things will guide how we live out our why. Our why to inspire people to live. If you don't have a clear why for your life, perhaps you want to take that and work out how it looks like for you. See, corporately, we have a mandate to inspire people to live. But I believe that this is also a fundamental call for each and every one of us as Christians. And maybe you can remind yourself, make it plain so that you can run with it. That's why we prepared these stickers not because we like stickers, though I do like stickers. <laughs> but maybe you can put it somewhere that you can see every day. And we gave you a couple, so you get a couple of choices. And you get to look at that and go, who am I inspiring today? What example am I living out today? What are people going to see when they see me today? Maybe one by one when we all live this out, we're going to see the momentum, the whole town gathered at our door. Why? Because Jesus is here. The whole point of inspiring people is not for them to look at me, but to look at Jesus who brings life. We can get the band up this morning. We're going to sing that song that we sang, Jesus at the center of it all. If we can do the, the church verse because it makes sense in this moment. I think Mitch knew that that was happening. But the words go, in case you've never sang it before or known it before, it says, Jesus at the center of our church. Jesus at the center of our church. Every knee shall bow and every tongue confess you, Jesus. When Jesus is at the center here, there's this life force that we get to receive, but there's always enough for even more. So this morning, why don't we stand together? Can we sing this? Can we sing this as our closing prayer this morning? For Jesus to be the center of our church. We want to point to him. We want to help people meet him. We want to help people see where life truly is at. We want to be inspired by Jesus.
one of the things that I took away from going to Hillsong was that I sensed that there was a dulling in my heart towards the majesty and the glory of my Jesus. I've never walked away from Him. I haven't walked away from Him, but I allowed there to be a bit of a dullness to steal, kill, and destroy my love for Him and the life that I'm receiving from God. As we sing this song together, I pray that Jesus is going to be seen in your spirit and in your heart, that you're going to know that this is a life worth living for. This is something, this is a why that you can get up for each and every day to live for Jesus. So why don't we sing this together? Thank you for tuning in today. If you would like to find out more about Lyft, check out our website at theliftchurch.com.au.